Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Ah, welcome to the Living Free Show on 3CR Community Radio, 855kHz on your AM dial. Hi, I'm Bill, and each week on the Living Free Show, we focus on one of the 12-step programs that assist in recovery from drugs, alcohol, and gambling and food addictions. Our guests share their recovery experience and show us that shared experience saved lives. Today, my guests are Ellen Summer. Uh, they're members of Narcotics Anonymous, and they're going to be sharing their experience of drug addiction and how NA has helped them to recover. So welcome to the 3CR studio this afternoon. Hello. Thanks for having us. Hi. No worries. Um, I also have a new co-presenter with me. Uh, it's Jasmine. Uh, so she's with us today. So hi, Jasmine. Hi, Bill. Right. Well, we usually start talking um, about growing up, childhood, things that happened, things that sort of influenced your life. Um, so, El. What was childhood like for you? Did you have any brothers and sisters? Mm. What was your mum and dad like? Yeah, I've got a younger sister. Um, I didn't have a good relationship with my parents growing up. What I remember is uh, lots of fighting between my parents and, to be honest, being quite terrified of my mother until the age of about 12 when things shifted pretty dramatically and my parents um, divorced, dad left and mum became quite unwell. Um, around this time, uh, mandatory reporting had just been brought in in Victoria, and they saw me with some bruises at school, so child protection were called in and tried to remove me from my mum's house. Wow. Yeah. Um, I ended up changing my story at the last minute because mum uh, tried to throw herself in front of the bus, out the front oh. of the school. Yeah. So I just said that there was nothing to see here. I went back home. But what that gave me was some um, confidence in thinking that there was someone to support me if she was abusive again. So I didn't let her hurt me again. We'd fight, but together. Yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't like a victim anymore. Anyway, around that time, I, I uh, picked up my first drug. How, how did that happen? The circumstances? Yeah. Yeah, look, I was miserable. You know, I was in a lot of pain. Um, I was looking for a way out and I gravitated towards the kids that were doing that stuff and I was offered some pot and I smoked with them and it took me out of myself and it gave me some relief from myself. Um, So I was either smoking pot or drinking and when I couldn't do that I would self-harm. So they were my kind of, I see now that they were my coping mechanisms at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So what sort of things were you feeling? Prior to picking, like using I was um, scared, I was angry, I was confused. My dad had disappeared and I didn't know why. Um, I was just really confused, really confused and really desperately alone. Is that, That's how I felt, alone and different to everybody that I knew. Like I just didn't fit in the world. Yeah. So did you have friends at school? You know, <laughs> I'd, like I, I'd make friends easily but I wouldn't stay with them. I was always hiding something, either yeah. my home life yeah. or my drug life, yeah? yeah? The double life, it's been an ever-going theme with me. Yeah. yeah. So going into high school then, so what was it like, you know, did, did things just go downhill from there? Yeah, they did. Um, 
they did. So for the first few years of high school, I was um, wagging a lot. I was smoking lots of dope. I was drinking. I was hanging out with older boys. And I was getting into fights, uh, getting into lots of trouble at school. And then something happened, you know, midway through year nine. Um, I don't know. Like, no, I do know. Um, some teachers kind of rallied around me and really supported me and gave me the love that I really desperately needed, I see now, yeah. and um, encouraged me to study and kind of use my brains. And things shifted. Midway through year nine, it's like this massive epiphany and things shifted and I started performing really well in school and getting really involved in activism and things like that and that lasted until midway through year 12. Okay. Yeah. Right. So what happened then? What was the change? Um, I'd been nominated to go on a scholarship overseas so things were kind of moving forward but uh, the story of my life, I hooked up with an older boyfriend and uh, his friend raped me and I had like a breakdown, um, I kind of set, thinking back now that's kind of what was happening, I think like a nervous breakdown and uh, within a few days of that happening I found myself in his car and we just drove kind of blindly up towards northern Queensland. Right. Yeah. Okay. Not a pleasant experience. No, no. no. Okay. Yeah. Well, so we'll leave it there. So Summer, I'll go over to you. So what was life like growing up for you? Um, life for me was just me and my mum really and um, my dad left me when I was two yeah mum got boyfriends along the way and like one of them I really gravitated towards and started calling him dad because he was around from when I was four to 14 so um for all intensive purposes I called him dad and um then after that he and my mum broke up and she got with another man who I call my stepdad and um, he's no longer with us, but yeah. Right, okay. So it was a bit of a rough childhood. Yeah. <laughs> to, say, to say the least. So what um, what sort of things were happening just at school for you while all that was going on? Um, so I was severely bullied at school. Like I looked different to everyone else, like. Um, and I had a different household, like everyone's parents were still together and like mine weren't and I didn't even know my dad so like they'd bully me about that and um, I had a really good looking mum so like a lot of the boys at school would bully me about that and say how can you come from her, you're so ugly and stuff like that so yeah. Yeah, Yeah, fighting words those, yes. Um, So... With your mum having a number of relationships, what was that like for you? Um, well, I definitely followed in her footsteps. Like, I've had a fair amount of relationships and, um, like, I didn't see it as a problem until she got with, like, a really abusive man. And, like, to me, I didn't... Again, I didn't see anything wrong with it until now that I'm grown up. But, like, to me, it seemed that was normal. Yeah. And, like... So to me, if you loved someone, you'd punch them in the face. That was you saying, hey, I love you. Yeah. Okay. So I didn't understand any better. Right. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the thing about growing up in a, ha- in a dysfunctional household. You don't know what's real, what's normal. Mm. Yeah, you think that's normal. Yeah, yeah. Um, so when did you start using drugs and alcohol? So I started drinking in year seven and, like, I'd have all the parties at 
my mum's house and she'd buy us all the alcohol and, like, we'd all get, like, really messy and then we'd have to go play netball the next day and she was the coach. <laughs> so, um, funnily enough, she'd be like, no more parties and then the next weekend, repeat. Um, and then, like, I tried my first bit of pot, actually, with the man that I called Dad when I was about 14 and that's because him and my mum had broken up so I was still spending time with him because that's all I knew he was dad to me so um we smoked our first bong together and I remember throwing up on him actually yeah yes (laughs) okay um so you had a difficult relationship with your mum yeah yeah so how did that affect you what sort of things did it make you do um, I don't know. I think, like, it was a difficult relationship, but I looked up to her because she was the only role model that I actually had. Yeah. Like, um, so I followed in her footsteps a lot. And, like, monkey see, monkey do. Like, that's yeah. just what I put it down to. And, um, like, the drug side doesn't come from her. That comes from my real dad. But, like, again, my curiosity was because she would tell me that that's the reason why my dad left for drugs so like I felt that I needed to find out why and um yeah okay so what sort of drugs did you start with um so I started with marijuana and then jumped straight from that to ice um and then like at the age of 20 I found like the party drugs MDMA the coke the speed and then um probably like at the last three years of my addiction, I found GHB, which is liquid fantasy, and I became physically dependent on that and, like, I needed that to survive, otherwise I'd be physically ill. Okay. We won't go quite there yet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So what about relationships? Like I said earlier, I've had um, my fair share of relationships. Um like the ones that I had in high school, they were little and petty. They were like flings for like a month, two months, like... Normal. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. like high school stuff, um, except they were with older men. And um, then once I hit the age of 18, I got my first serious boyfriend who I moved in with. And then, um, yeah, after that I only had one other relationship and then pretty much been... Single ever since. (laughs) (laughs) Righto. Uh, We'll go back to you, Elle. Um, So you went to Queensland with your boyfriend. Mm. So how did that work out for you? Oh, pretty shockingly. (laughs) Um, Surprise. Yeah. uh, The car broke down in the middle of nowhere. We ended up working in a roadhouse. I ended up coming back to Melbourne pregnant and had a termination. Uh, went back up there to meet him, came back again, lived in some supported accommodation and um, I don't really, I don't even really remember. We kind of just lost contact. Um, yeah, it didn't go well. Yeah. 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 So what sort of drugs were you using at that point? Um, back, you know, then it was drinking and pot still. Yep. I saw how old, that was 17. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that was consistent, like... When you're 17, you think it's for fun. You don't consider yourself dependent. I look back now, I drank every day, yeah? 
or I'd get to where I had to go and I'd always drink. So I was always looking for a way to get out of myself. Um, and then pot stop started like to not agree with me um, mentally. So I picked up amphetamines at about 18, 19 maybe. Um, yeah, and I started my first time with amphetamines was pretty much IV drug okay. use. Yep. 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 And benzos, yeah. Okay. Um, so any issues with I- using IV? Yep. Hepatitis C. Right. I've had it twice and I've done treatment twice. We live in a country where we're lucky enough to get treatment. Um, I don't know when I caught it the first time. I do the second time. Um, you know, this is the insanity of, addi- of addiction. I did 12 months of interferon, which knocked me. And I went and shared needles again, in the, you know, after that and got hep C again, knowing what I was in for again, but just not caring in yeah. that moment. Yeah. 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 I guess that's the way it is. Yeah, it yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> I often hear people say that, um, you know, that drugs, you know, or drugs or alcohol, it's the focus. And so everything else is secondary. Yeah. Yeah. So that's... Totally. Totally. So yeah, um, amphetamines. And I used heroin at that time for the first time. And uh, kind of ironic because I hated heroin when I first tried it. I remember saying to all my peers, and a lot of them were dying at the time, this was the 90s when we had the road toll with heroin and the cars and a lot of people were overdosing. I remember saying, why why do you guys want to fall asleep and check out a life? Like Life's here to be party, party, party. And I just wanted to take it to the next level all the time. And then um, a few years later, I found myself in a relationship with heroin addict boyfriend number three or four and I fell in with him this time and it took me on a 17 year journey of hell (laughs) yeah yeah okay um so how do you afford a heroin addiction yeah with lots of illegal activity yeah lots of fraud you get very creative lots of lying lots of cheating lots of stealing lots of manipulating so how does that affect your work if you're working. If you're working, yeah. Okay. So I was working at the beginning of my addiction. Um, yeah, I was a shit, a shit employee, hey. Um, I stole from work. I lied. I lost my job. Um, I was working in politics, um, living this double life. Yeah. But what, what, what that work gave me was the ability to commit lots of fraud because I yeah. could get credit cards and... Yeah. I could get creative with insurance scams and all kinds of things. Yeah. I've paid the price for them all since I've been convicted for lots of stuff. Right. Yeah. Okay. We won't go there. Mm. Okay. Um, So what about relationships then? Being in a relationship with somebody who uses drugs is usually not pretty. No. How did that affect you? You know, as problematic as my drug use has been is as problematic as my relationship history has been to me as a person. My relationships have all been with other drug addicts, with heroin addicts. That's my entire story of relationships. Um, and they have torn me, and I see now those people apart, where, you know, we live in dysfunction, we live in violence, crime. It was horrendous. It was really horrendous. So the outcome of the family, the violence then, does that push you away enough <laughs> to be able to leave the situation or no? No, <clears throat> no. What, you know, people ask women, why don't you leave? Um, when you're surviving day to day and when you when you think you have nowhere else to go and when you're hiding your drug addiction, and I became a mother in addiction, when you're hiding the fact that you're a mother in addiction, you don't reach out to people to help you, you burrow deeper and you hide and 
there's shame, there's guilt. Look, you know, it was just survival day to day for a really long time. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, listen, we might take a quick break. Slavery is back. Welcome to a place where private business profit from a captive labour force, yet pennies are spent on medical services to a population in which the Indigenous, the poor and the mentally ill are overrepresented. Where isolation, humiliation and degradation are facts of life. Welcome to prison. It depends who's telling the story, I suppose. The prisoners would have one view. The people who work in the prison system would have another. And I think it's up to people to decide uh, where the truth is. Give government propaganda and the media spin doctors the flick. And check out Doin' Time for news, views and tunes on prison issues from Guantanamo Bay to Christmas Island to prisons and detention centres everywhere. Every Monday at 4pm on your community radio, 3CR. We are still fired up and we're still talking about revolution. You're listening to the Living Free Show on 3CR, 855 kilohertz on your AM dial, and 3CR on digital radio. We've got about 107 episodes of the show available as podcasts on our website, which is 3cr.org.au forward slash living free. So you can check them out. Uh, if you want to send us a message, you can contact us via 3CR on 9419 8377 or email us 3 at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter as 3CR Living Free. I'm talking with Elle and Summer about recovery from drug addiction with the help of Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so, Summer, we left you, I think you just got, you're about 18, you've got another boyfriend, mm-hmm. um, you got into ICE, mm-hmm. and I think, talking off here, you said your mum got a job interstate, so what happened? So, my mum got a job, and... Um, me being 18 and thinking that I'd met the love of my life, I said, I'm going to stay behind. Um, moved in with the boyfriend and mum moved to Melbourne. And um, once she left, I was like, okay, like, now I can use whenever I want. <laughs> Wherever. <laughs> yeah, like, it didn't matter because I didn't have to go home and see her. So I um, started using, like, every day and, like, I went into... um stripping to be able to support my habit yeah the boyfriend was working as well but he was just doing a tradie job um yeah so what was life like then once you were free to use whenever you like you know what like I thought it was going to be like the movies I was going to be all grown up and life was going to be great and I was going to be with the love of my life but like it was a complete opposite it was like hell um it ended up being actually like a drug haze relationship, um, a really abusive one as well. Um, there I am working in a strip club, coming home in the morning and still not sleeping and then like being with my partner, like we fell pregnant a couple of times and um, every time he'd figure out that I was pregnant, he'd either like push me down the stairs or he'd physically make it that that pregnancy was going to be terminated. Um, until, like, I fell pregnant one last time with him and it went over the course of um, the time that he could do something about it himself. So he went behind my back and called my mum and asked for the money to get an abortion and there I was with a moral dilemma. 
and um scared of losing him I um went against my own morals and that caused a lot of self-hate and a lot of hate towards my mum and him yeah so how did that influence your relationship with him that control that he had um at the time like I was actually pretty obedient um and like I didn't see it as he was being controlling. I just thought, like, that's what love was. And um, it wasn't until, like, I moved over to my mum with him and she seen us get into a physical altercation that I realised that that's not okay. Or, well, I thought it wasn't okay in that moment. Maybe it's because, like, it was a punch in the face. So I was like, oh, like, this is actually bad. Um. But, yeah, that's about it. Okay. Um, so did he tend to control you a lot? Um, from what I wore to who I spoke to. So we had actually one phone, not one phone each, yeah. one phone for us to share. Right. Um, until we moved to Melbourne, then we got our own phones and that's when a little bit of trouble started for him, I guess. Okay. Right. Uh, we'll go back to you, Elle. So I think you, um, where were you? you were in a in a relationship, and it was a bit abusive. Mm-hmm. So how did that end? Um, so that's fell into heroin with that person. Was there for about five years. It was abusive. Uh, the last straw for me was when he gave me a black eye. Uh, yeah, we were withdrawing from heroin, we were sick, things were explosive. He gave me a black eye and I said, thank you, that's what I've been waiting for. Something physical, yeah, like I couldn't hide it anymore. And I left and I didn't go back. Yep. Okay. So what was life like on your own? Um, so I, th- I thought I'll give up heroin now and I drank every day for six months. And then I picked up heroin again after that six months and that's probably some of the most destructive using I've done, out of a relationship on my own. Um, I couldn't hold a job down. I couldn't. I, I really couldn't do anything except think about scoring and using every day, and I ended up uh, living out of a car that I had at the time, catching a couch where I could here and there, until my family, who I hadn't really seen for quite some time, caught wind of it, and um, I'm lucky enough that they sent me off to my first rehab. So what was that like, going to rehab for the first time? Oh, look, I wasn't happy. I got escorted physically from Melbourne to Sydney. Um, <laughs> like I say, I was happy, but now I'm happy it happened, but I wasn't at the time. But I was I, I just, I was pretty burnt out. I was pretty sick. I'd been at it for about six years by then. Um, I went to that rehab in Sydney, and it was a 12-step rehab. About two, three weeks into that rehab, you know, I was really resistant still. I thought that I was different to people. And I found out, anyway, I found out there that I was uh, six and a half months pregnant, and I had no idea that wow. I was pregnant. Yeah. So how did that affect you? I remember saying to the doctor, people like me don't have kids, this can't be real, you know, this isn't happening. And she said, oh, yeah, it's happening in about two and a half, not three months. And so that's, yeah, I came back to Melbourne, found the father who I'd met through using and really didn't know that well. And we embarked on a, another year of living together and that was really horrible as well. Same yep. sort of domestic same, relationship? Yep, same yep. domestic relationship. Okay. Yep. yep. Um. So, did you leave him? I did. Yep. Yep, I did. I walked out. Uh, I had a public housing unit. 
I left that and walked out with my little boy. Um, so what's it like then having a small child yeah. using yeah. and having difficulty living? Yeah, it's horrible. Um, yeah. I really thought having a baby would get would keep me clean. I, when I found out that I was after the initial shock, I thought, okay, I'm going to be a mum now. I'm going to do this. This is what I this is what I need to get clean. Um, and it didn't work, and I hated myself for that. And I didn't know how to reach for help. I was terrified. I'd had child protection in my life with this partner, the father of my baby, because they'd wit- um, some people had witnessed some violent uh, things happening, and that shut me down, and I just wanted to protect myself and my baby and keep us hidden from authorities. I wanted to reach out for help, but how do I do that without them taking my baby from me? Yeah, yeah. it's difficult. Mm. Yeah. Okay, um, so back to you, Summer. Um, so you're in a relationship and you're fairly isolated. So what, what happened to change the situation? Um, well, pretty much his mum had kicked us out of her house and then, like, we'd gotten our own little flat. And, um, look, it didn't matter how many nights I worked, like, it couldn't, um, it couldn't support our habit, our rent, our electricity, all the bills, like, it just... Couldn't happen. It couldn't happen. I physically couldn't do it. And, um, we got evicted and... Me being scared to live on the street, um, I called my mum and I was like, look, you were right, I need to move to Melbourne, but I'll only move if he comes with me. I was still too scared to lose him. Yep. And so then we moved. So what was it like once you got to Melbourne, living with your mum? So one bedroom apartment, um, three people. Two people coming off drugs, so my mum's condition was no ice and no weed. Um, so two people coming off all the drugs and um, one very controlling mother. I'm surprised it wasn't a bloodbath, to be <laughs> honest. Um, but, like, it was going averagely okay, I guess. Um, and then my mum had a boyfriend who flew in from New South Wales, I think. Um, so then it was four people in a one-bedroom. Mm. Um, and this is the same boyfriend who was abusive to her while I was growing up. So a lot of anger started to come from me and then I started to get really angry and I started taking it out on my boyfriend. And then he had his own insecurities because we both had a phone each. And, um, <laughs> yeah, he finally lost it one night and just started beating up on me in... My sleep, like I was asleep and I think my phone went off and he just started beating up on me and that's when my mum came in and was like, he's got to go. Right. So how did things change? Um, so once he left, it was like my first experience of being single and legally able to drink. So like I started hitting the clubs and then like um, I started meeting people who had party drugs. So I got introduced to MDMA for the first time. I just remember feeling like I'd found, like, this amazing thing. Like, I felt like I was a part of and everyone loved me and, like, um, started doing some coke and other drugs like that. And then I met a man probably three months into, like, my partying career, I guess you could say. And um, 
he was 12 years older than me and it all started with the question, do you smoke? And then I went off to his car and picked up my first pipe again. Ice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and that led to daily use? Um, so it started off as just like a weekend thing. And then, like, it went from the weekend to Wednesday to Sunday, and then all of a sudden it was every day. So what's it like using ice every day and living a normal... Do you have a normal life, or is there only one life? (laughs) So to everyone else on the outside, I was living a normal life. I told him that I was um, packing clothes at a depot, when really I was actually a working girl. So, like, um, and I thought it was okay because I was doing it during the day. So I thought, okay, I'm doing all right. Like, nobody knows. <laughs> okay. <sighs> right. Uh, well, listen, we might leave it there. G'day. This is Jacob from the Friday Rave. If the week's politics have left you wondering whether it's you or the rest of the planet that's gone completely and utterly bonkers, join us at 5 o'clock each and every Friday for a Friday Rave here on 3CR, where we'll do our best to reassure you that it is actually you, and us. A Friday Rave, bringing the 5 o'clock drinks debrief to you, here on Community Radio 3CR. Uh, you're listening to Living Free Show on 3CR on digital radio and live streaming on 3cr.org.au forward slash streaming. Uh, I'm chatting with Alan Summer and we're talking about recovery from drugs in Narcotics Anonymous. Um, so I'll go back to you, uh, L. Where are we up to? So you have a child, you have relationship issues, you're using ice. Heroin. Heroin, sorry. Um, and... Things are difficult. Mm. So when did it start getting to the point where you needed to take action? It took another probably 10 years. Right. Another partner, another child, another rehab, uh, loss of health. Like My teeth were falling out of my head. I had hep C again. Supporting my daughter's father through his prison sentences, courts. Look, just everything that you hear about in addiction, it all ends up happening eventually. Mm. The older you get, if you're lucky enough to live that long. That long, yeah. yeah. So um, 19 months ago, I was beaten sufficiently finally and uh, I, I just couldn't do it anymore. I was terrified that I was going to die and leave these kids on their own. And that finally, like I'd always known that, but I'd buried it deep and I needed help, and I remembered NA, you know. Like, I dropped in there over the years a couple of times to get a day up or try to get a day up, and I remember these people that I could relate to when they were sharing, and I walked in there and um, I didn't go in looking for the war stories and looking for similarities and looking for fellow heroin addicts anymore. I just went in because I didn't want to die. I really didn't, and I threw my hands up and said, "Um, help me, you know. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to do it. How did you guys do this? And that was 19 months ago. And so what changed for you? In NA? Yeah. Everything. Everything <laughs> you could think of. Life. Everything. Me, my relationship to life, my relationship with the truth, yeah? Um, support, fellowship, seeing people that have walked before me get clean gave me hope and being supported and I have been really supported on my journey. Um, I've had amazing people 
share their experience with me and tell me what they did to get clean yeah. and say maybe try. Yeah. yeah. So have you lost that desire to use? I lost it as soon as I walked into the rooms this time and that, that was my first miracle. Yeah. But I came in broken enough. For me, I had to be broken down enough and beaten into submission, you know, to rebuild myself. That's how I see it. Yeah. Okay. I don't have the desire to use. I've been had that for 19 months, and that's a miracle to me every yep. day. Okay. So were you ever on drug replacement? Yeah, 11 years. And um, I came into the rooms this time on drug replacement, and I came off drug replacement sitting in the rooms in meetings supported by people. Okay. So what's it like being able to get rid of drug replacement? Because I understand it's... it's Freedom. <laughs> Freedom. <laughs> it, it's not seen... It's NA sort of views it as not really getting off drugs yeah sure um i get that and i had a bit of a chip on my shoulder about it at the start but things get really real like so i'm not injecting every day i'm not dependent every day i think because i'm a drug replacement because i'm not chasing every day and i'm not hustling and scamming yeah but i'm still dependent on something i'm not clear i'm not present yeah Yeah. and then i get off drug replacement and things really get real and it was hard you know like i'd been on it for 11 years physically it knocked me but um here i am you know like it's been f- nearly 15 months, 14 months, three weeks since I've been off drug replacement. And we, we recover. Our health recovers, our spirit recovers, and our mind recovers. Yep. So what about your relationship with the kids now? Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so what did they go through? My kids have been traumatised. You know, they've visited prisons. They've watched parents in addiction. My son has no contact with his biological father. My kids haven't seen... Um, my daughter's father, my son's stepfather, for the last two years, they've been through hell and back, and I can't make that up to them, but what I can do is try and give them the life that they deserve now, and that's what I try to do. As I recover, my children recover, and they're very different kids to who they were a while ago. Like, I'm here for them, you know? Um, I've connected to them, and I've told this story to friends about how the first time my son heard me laugh was when he was 11 years old and he thought I was intoxicated. Yeah. Um, he'd had this, you know, his, this new experience of a mother that was here with him. Yeah. Yeah, we do things. We do what parents do now. We go to activities. Like, they do sports. They they have friends. They, they don't live in fear and terror anymore, you know. But it's going to take time. It's going to take time for them to recover. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Having grown up with an alcoholic father, I know that. Yeah. yeah. You get over it, but you, you still remember it. Yeah, there's yeah. there's wounds yeah. there. Yeah. If I get stressed, I see my kids tense up, yeah? yeah, like more than other kids would. They have very fresh memories of what life is like. Yeah. So I'm just really blessed to have my kids in my life. I really am. Yeah, okay. Um, over to you, Summer. So you're, you're working hard. Things aren't working out terribly well. You're using lots of drugs. So when did things start getting too much for you so that you knew, you thought... I need to stop. Um, so I was 23 um, and probably for the eighth time in one year, all my belongings had been stolen. So I had to start from scratch again. Whoa. And, um, and I mean like just the clothes on my back is all I had left oh, and the drugs that I had on me. Yeah. Um, and I just couldn't do it anymore. I remember sitting alone in a flat, bawling my eyes out and I just couldn't cope and I just picked up the phone and I was like mum I need rehab help me she hadn't heard from me in a year and a half and here I am calling her I need help yeah 
And um, so, how did she respond? Was she pleased to hear from you? <laughs> well, I'll be honest; it was a bit of a yelling fest. <laughs> And it was more like panic in her voice because I was sobbing so hard. Um, she was like, oh, my God, Summer, are you okay? Uh, and, like, just screaming down the phone at me. And, like, I was – I just remember being, like, so terrified that she was going to end up snapping and be angry instead. But in, instead she just goes, okay, I'll look into that. And she called me back the next day and she was like – where are you? I need to pick you up. And um, I went in for the intake interview for the rehab and then had my last hurrah. And then um, the next day I was off to rehab. So what was it like to start with? It was a bit of a shock. Um, so it was a bit of a shock, but more because I didn't think that the rehab was going to get me off drugs. I thought it was going to teach me how to use manageably. And I was like, okay, they're going to teach me how to use drugs manageably. Yeah. There's no such thing apparently. No. Um, So Not not for an addict, no. No. So um, I went in and I was like, you want to know what? I've got nothing to lose. So I'm just going to sit here. I'm going to shh and I'm going to listen to what everyone has to say and I'm just going to take it all in. Did that work? Well, so far, so good. I'm like 16 <laughs> months clean. So what were the things that helped you to feel like it might work for you? So um, the rehab took us to NA meetings. And um, I remember sitting in my first NA meeting that I was coherent for. And um, I just felt like I belonged. And I was listening to all these people say like 20 years, 25 years. In my head, of course, I'm like, uh, no, you're yeah. lying. But then listening to him, I was like, wow, this is actually real. Like, it can be done. And um, from that, I just continued to sit there and listen. Yeah. And that's really all I could do. Yeah. So what sort of things helped you, you know, helped you to stay off drugs? Um, I just remember where I was, um before I came into recovery and um, I never want to go back to that. And, um, yeah, you know what? I'm quite happy today that none of my possessions get stolen. Yes, I'm sure. <laughs> and, that, um, and that I can proudly say that everything in my room is actually brought and not myself had stolen them either. Yep. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so... Do you get involved in NA now, like in helping others? So I threw myself into the middle. Yeah. They have a saying that um, it's like a dartboard. Throw yourself into the middle and the people that are on the outskirts might fall off. And I did not want to be one of them people. So um, I've immersed my life fully into NA and like um, currently I sponsor people. I um, go to meetings every night of the week. And, like, I really make that the most important part of my life at the moment. Yeah. Does it feel good? Oh, it feels amazing. Like, my life has turned around so much. If you told me when I first came to NA that I'd be in uni, that I'd be sitting here right now even talking to you, I would have told you (laughs) that you're lying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Um, So, back to you, Elle. 
did did your relationship with your family um, improve once you got into NA? Uh, not immediately, um, but they have watched over time. So I, you know, like a lot of addicts, I'm really good at talking. Yeah. The talk. Yep. They've watched me walk the walk in the last 19 months. They have watched mine and my children's lives change, and it's improving now. Um, and I'm, I feel really blessed for that. My perspective on my family relationships has changed. I see my mother as the human she is, and I look at the kind of mother I've been, and I don't sit in judgment anymore. Um, it's really it's shifted. I've got my sister in my life at the moment, which is like a gift. We hadn't really had much to do with each other for 20 years, and we were good friends once upon a time. And my, my children have family around them, which they really, you know, yeah. children need, yeah? They do, um, yeah. And they don't deserve to lose that because of me. So things have shifted, like, in every possible way. Yeah. So how are you involved in NA these days? Yeah, I'm in the middle with summer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, do, I have service positions. I make myself available to newcomers. I share my number with people. I'm there to support people. I take guidance from my sponsor and um, older cleaner members, and I listen to their experience. I work the steps really thoroughly. Um, yeah, I'm, I do what the program tells me to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And it's a, it's it's my life revolves around NA, like everything. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Um, Jasmine, I was going to throw over to you. Would you like to just you you share NA as part of your story? Would um, you like to share about your recovery in NA? Yeah. Um, I think um, the girls have really covered sort of what it was for me as well. But, like, um, I was introduced to NA through a rehab as well and I remember walking in and, you know, I was terrified at the start but, you know, it was the first time that I felt like I had friends and with people that I connected with and I became very active in the fellowship as well and, you know, it was sort of a really good stepping stone for me um, to start to find myself and to connect with other people and, you know, it's also... It's so good to sit and listen to other people's stories as well because I can relate to so much of what's been shared today and, um, you know, I never want to go back to where I was either and, you know, regardless of um, how rocky life can get sometimes and it isn't what I want it to look like, I don't think anything could ever be as bad as what it was um, before I found the rooms as well and um, it's so important to remember that. Yeah. Yeah. So also do you want to just talk about becoming a presenter and what what you hope to achieve in you know co-presenting on living free okay big one um <laughs> you know i think um i've been on the show a couple of times and for me you know it's it's part of service coming on here and um bringing people from the fellowships on you know that's that's part of my service and that helps keep me sober and you know, coming here is kind of like a mini meeting as well where I get to listen to other people's experience, strength and hope and, you know, if there's anything that I can do to share the message of, you know, a 12-step fellowship, I'd be more than willing to do that because I do feel that not enough people know about what happens and, you know, there are too many people still that aren't making it to the rooms um, that that are um, with us because there, there needs to be more advocacy and... Um, you know, people need to know where they can go uh, to get help for, you know, what they're suffering from. And, you know, there there is a way and there is hope and um, people do get well. So that's sort yeah. of, yeah, what brought me on here. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, it's, um, yeah, that's the whole purpose of the, of the show is just to showcase and share 
recovery experiences so people understand whether it's yourself or somebody that you love or somebody that you know that uh, there is a second chance um, and really you know 12 step programs offer an amazing way that you can um, change your life if you want to and so we're not suggesting everybody gets off drugs and alcohol or food you know that's really up to them but if you want to then um, 12 step programs offer you a way out and um, it's really important that if you want to do that and uh, that there's that it's available and um, that there are people there to to help yeah 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 okay well listen um if you've got a problem with drugs of any kind uh you can call narcotics anonymous uh, their helpline on 1300 652 820 or mobile number 0488 811 247 or you can go online at na.org.au uh that's about all we've got time for today so I'd like to thank Alan Summer for coming in to 3CR Studio and sharing their Narcotics Anonymous recovery experience with us. Thank you both. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. There's been some uh, issues discussed in this interview that may affect some people. So we talked about sexual assault uh, and abuse. Um, and so if you've got any um, issues about the things that were raised here and if they cause you distress, you can call Lifeline on 131114. 1800 respect on 1800 737 732 uh, the rape and domestic violence services australia 1800 211 028 or wire 1300 134 130 i hope you'll be able to join us again next week when we'll be talking about living with the family disease of alcoholism and we'll be joined by erin and maria from alaron family groups uh, thanks to li- for listening to the living free program today and to take us out we've got a song called night day by sarah blasco Mama. My-